0: Hello and welcome to Background Briefing, available 24-7 at backgroundbriefing.org. I'm Ian Masters, and today we'll look into a number of stories and issues in the news. We'll begin with the political response to the latest four-count federal indictment of Trump for the January 6th insurrection and election interference, which Republicans and their Fox News echo chamber are spinning as a First Amendment issue of free speech when Jack Smith's charges are not about words, but about deeds. Joining us is Victoria Norse, a Professor of Law at Georgetown University Law Center and the Executive Director of the Center on Congressional Studies at Georgetown Law, a nominee for the United States Court of Appeals for the Seventh Circuit. From 2014 to 2015, she served as counsel to Vice President Joe Biden and prior to that served as an appellate lawyer in the Justice Department and a special counsel to the Senate Judiciary Committee. Her latest book is The Impeachment of Donald Trump, An Introduction to Constitutional Argument. Then we'll discuss the indictments with an expert on elections and election law, Justin Levitt, professor of law at Loyola Marymount University, and a nationally recognized scholar of constitutional law and the law of democracy. He recently served as the Biden White House's first senior policy advisor for democracy and voting rights, where he assisted the president to restore trust in our democracy. He previously served in the federal government as a deputy assistant attorney general in the Civil Rights Division of the U.S. Department of Justice and has been invited to testify before committees of the U.S. House and Senate, the U.S. Civil Rights Commission, several state legislative bodies, and both federal and state courts. Then finally, we'll examine Jack Smith's 45-page indictment with a former federal prosecutor who considers them a prosecutorial masterstroke and speak with Dennis Aftergat a former federal prosecutor and chief assistant city attorney in San Francisco who has won cases of significance in the United States Supreme Court and the California Supreme Court. He currently serves as counsel to lawyers defending American democracy, and we'll discuss his article at Slate, Jack Smith's January the 6th Trump indictment is a prosecutorial masterstroke. And joining us now is Victoria Norse, who's a professor of law at Georgetown University Law Center and the executive director of the Center on Congressional Studies at Georgetown Law, a nominee for the United States Court of Appeals for the Seventh Circuit. From 2014 to 2015, she served as counsel to Vice President Joe Biden and prior to that served as an appellate lawyer in the Justice Department and a special counsel to the Senate Judiciary Committee. Her latest book is The Impeachment of Donald Trump, An Introduction to Constitutional Argument. Welcome to Background Briefing, Victoria Norse.
1: Thank you, Ian. Happy to be here.
0: Well, thanks for joining us, Victoria. And Donald Trump on Tuesday is now facing his third indictment and a fourth one is expected soon in Atlanta, Georgia. He's also in the other indictment in Florida. He's facing 40 criminal charges. In the indictment in New York, he's facing 34 felony counts and and yesterday's indictment by Jack Smith he's facing four counts so do you see the law finally catching up with this kind of Houdini uh, this scoff law
1: absolutely um, the law operates rather slowly because it tries to be precise and ferret out the truth and uh, we're not done yet with this and I'm you know many people want us to be done but the courts will have the last word here and a jury uh, will have the last word, which is to say, a jury of ordinary citizens will judge the president in Florida, New York, D.C., and possibly Georgia as to what he did on the election, uh, on the election, classified documents, other things. Uh, so yes, the law is finally catching up to Donald Trump,
0: and of course he is again projecting crying foul, talking about corruption and the witch hunt, and even likening the indictments to the persecutions of, in Nazi Germany, at the same time saying on his social media platform, Truth Social, that he's never been had so much more support. Uh, but meanwhile, you've got Speaker McCarthy saying that this whole indictment and uh, the indictments against Trump are a distraction from hunter biden which is there, as far as we know there's no no there's no there there but they keep you know beating that dead horse so what do you think about the politics of this how they're going to play out because joe biden of course is assiduously avoiding even talking about this and he's been riding his bicycle on his vacation at his beach home in delaware and um, last night he and jill biden Went to the movies and saw Oppenheimer. So, are they really? Can they in any way project this onto the Democrats in the way that they're trying to do? Particularly with Marjorie Taylor Greene saying uh, today, the politicized and weaponized Department of Justice is now committing election interference with this outrageous conspiracy theory. So, how do you see the this playing out in terms of uh, the politics going into the 2024? elections
1: well i think that the the current president is doing exactly what he should do um which is to say nothing um presidents and this is up and down the line whether it's a republican president or not having worked in the white house i can tell you that the advice of the white house counsel is never never to say anything about any current litigation why because the president could by the power of the bully pulpit you know sway juries or judges and so this is every case it's not uh, unusual that the President is taking this stand. but I think it's the right way because in fact, the evidence speaks louder here than any statement. Uh, when Donald Trump has done this over and over and over again, and then we have everything on the January 6th uh, investigation. You can look and hear from you know Mr. Pence's lawyers about what was going on. A lot of this indictment repeats what we saw on television. It's a very long indictment. Uh, it's very specific. It was specific lies, specific actions, and a good bit of this evidence has already been out there in the public through the January 6th hearings, which I followed closely. Um, There are other things in here, but I think uh, as far as moving forward is people just have to tell people to look at the facts. You know, stop listening to truth, you know, untruth social or whatever it's called, (laughs) because, you know, demagogues will continue to do this. They will continue to operate as a grifter. He's making money off of uh, this indictment because he raises more money for his legal defense fund. It's a continuing grift. And I believe the American people are smart Uh, and they're just tired of some of these people who are trying to, you know, enrage the American public. We are we are ready to go back to normal. And, the you know, they get a lot of press, unfortunately, for saying this, and they can whip up social media, but people are realizing that, you know, that's maybe not where the truth is. And they've seen this over and over again, and I think they'll be happy when this is done, and we know what a jury of peers says about these claims uh, in the indictment.
0: Well, indeed, the special counsel... Jack Smith, in his brief appearance before the cameras yesterday, Tuesday, said that um, he he encouraged people to read the 45-page indictment. And from what I'm hearing and having looked to it myself, it's powerful, very comprehensive, very deep. I wouldn't like to be on the receiving end of it. How about you?
1: No. um, And that's because it's so specific. Having taught criminal law for about 15 years, I'll tell you that this is not a traditional indictment. They're usually one or two or three pages, not 45. And that's because this is called, and you've heard this in the press, a speaking indictment, which is to say that he is making these charges in the open air. He wants people to read it. He wants the public to have all the information that he has. And he wants the defense counsel to know exactly what he's trying to prove so that they cannot attempt to delay He's not trying to surprise, sometimes prosecutors surprise defendants, you know, and they try to manipulate each other. But he is not doing any of that. He is trying very much to play this by the book, to let, you know, the sunlight of transparency, uh, you know, uh, lead people to actually, you know, focus on the terms of this and to not allow lawyers to make up things on television shows and other things. Um, Because it's all set down there, and it is a public document. And, you know, the grand jury has said this. It's not just Jack Smith, and I think that's something people need to know. These are a jury of normal citizens. These are average citizens. They're citizens now we've had in New York, citizens in Florida, citizens in D.C., and perhaps we'll have citizens in Georgia. And it was a national. You know, he goes through six different states in great detail about what happened in those states,
0: To try to falsify the election? Well, the culprits are named. They're not named. They're unnamed uh, co conspirators. But it's not difficult to figure out who they are. Uh, Number one is Giuliani, of course. Number two is John Eastman. Number three is Sidney Powell. Number four is Jeffrey Clark. Number five is Kenneth uh, Cheeseborough. And the uh, political consultant apparently is uh, James Troopers, who conveyed the false elector slates to uh, Pennsylvania. So do we? Do you expect <laughs> that same kind of clown show to show up before Judge Tanya Chunkin?
1: Yes. yes. We're going to see these people testify because that's how you make the case. Um, you know, we'll see lots of other witnesses as well. Uh, um, you know, some of the same witnesses we saw in the congressional hearings. Um, But we will see some of these people, um, and it will be interesting to hear what their stories are now. Um, They are unindicted, which means maybe they've made some kind of deal. Uh, And Donald Trump doesn't know whether they've made a deal or not, and to what extent the deal is. I assume that the lawyers, although I can't predict anything about Rudy Giuliani, um, but most lawyers would, um, you know, sort of fess up because they'll lose their living, uh, whether or not they're indicted or not, because... Uh, the ethics people will, in fact, take away their license. So there's a lot of states for the lawyers, um, and um, they may have an interest in sort of changing their stories or exactly confessing to what they did. And some of them may be just true Trumpers, and they may try to seek some kind of defense against these kinds of charges. I don't see one, but they're already making sort of claims about that moving forward.
0: Well, two of them are, of course, our lawyers, John Eastman, and Jeffrey Clark. So one would think that they'd have the sense to know they're in deep trouble. As you mentioned, Giuliani is out on his own somewhere in some alternative universe, along with Sidney Powell, who's of course a, a Trumpster and kind of off the wall as well. But the other person that will probably be testifying and who clearly testified before the grand jury and gave some devastating testimony is none other than former Vice President Mike Pence, right? So he's going to have to get off the campaign trail where he uh, is trying to thread the needle between running against Trump and, and not really going after the man who put a target on his back and call for the mob to lynch him. That's extraordinary. His behavior on the stump is hard to understand. But at least he seems like he owned up to the grand jury and told the truth.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, he, he was under enormous pressure, I assume, because a lot of people came to Donald Trump um, to decide what to do. Um, and he asked several people for legal opinions. I mean, <laughs> it, it's crazy what Eastman said. I mean, Eastman basically said, ignore the law, which is there was a statute that says it's very ceremonial. And ignore every other president. You know, you could have asked any Vice President's Counsel what the rule was here, and they stand up there and they just say, "Oh, there's no objection by both the House and the Senate. Okay, these are accepted." It's very, you know, robotic in, in a sense um, to accept the electoral slate. And so Pence actually, uh, I, 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 you know, I think he did a, an amazing job of standing up to him to tell you the truth because he knew he was under, uh, you know, potential uh, life threat. I mean, and it, he didn't have to stay. Um, Pence didn't have to stay in the basement or wherever he was. I don't know where he was, but he took his car, the, the you know, the VT beast and he um, stayed there with his secret service and he didn't have to do that. Um, and that showed a fair amount of courage because at that point they knew that there were people outside uh, the building and that there was a riot, and uh, it's not, you know, there are very secure places in the capital, but as we saw, they're not all that secure. <laughs> right. right. So, and He did. He didn't so want. He I, didn't I,
0: trust I, the the White House and the, the Secret Service people. You know, he, he trusted his own detail. But when I was yeah, referring to his lack of, his own co- yeah, uh, when I was referring to his lack of courage, it's on the campaign now as he's running, where he's not joining Will Hurd. And Chris Christie in condemning Trump, even though Trump tried to have him killed and called on the mob to lynch him. So that's what I was referring to. Well,
1: yes. Well, it'll be interesting to see what he does, um, more to your point, which is that, you know, this is going to come out. If he testifies, if his counsel testifies, as they did in January 6th. And uh, it will be interesting to see how that plays out in the campaign. Um, we don't know when this trial will be. Um, I'm sure that the Trump people will try to delay it, but it could have a, you know, an important impact on what's going on with um, Vice President Pence. And for all we know, he might change his tune and decide to fully embrace what was his act of courage on that day.
0: Well, the polls now, in terms of the way that the electorate is seeing Trump, there's an AP poll that just came out that found 49% of Americans believe Trump did something illegal compared to 19% who said his conduct was legal but unethical and 20% who said he did nothing wrong. And now there's a Yahoo! YouGov poll that came out a couple of months ago that found a majority of Americans, 62%, believe Trump should not be allowed to serve convicted of a serious crime while 23% said he should be. But the third poll from the New York Times and Siena College that came out this week, which I think is really interesting, found that 17% of likely voters in the Republican primaries believe Trump committed a serious offense compared to 71 who don't. So that 17% is the margin that Joe Biden has to capture, right? Disaffected Republicans. Would that be your calculus too, uh, Victoria?
1: That. That and and independence, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, yes, he has to capture the disaffected and he also has to capture. If those people really believe their candidate is a danger, they're not going to vote for him. I mean, the problem will be if there's some other if if Trump is not the the nominee in that case, you know, that may be a curveball. But right now it looks like he will be the nominee. Mm -hmm. Um, And of course, people often in these polls underestimate independence because they don't respond to the polls because they don't like politics. Americans are famous for not liking politics. And so they don't answer the polls, and they're often because they don't identify with either party, and they prefer to pick and choose the candidate itself. And those people are definitely up for grabs, and those people actually went for Biden um, the last time. Um, and that's why some of the polls at the time, you know, the New York Times, et cetera, kept saying Biden can't win. Well, if you're only polling Democrat, people who say they're Democrats and Republicans, then you're not going to get an accurate picture. Um, but I do think that 17% is, is up for grabs, and it could mean. That contrary to what you know, some outlets are saying that it's an evenly divided you know race. Uh, that in fact it could be a very big win <laughs> for uh, the current president.
0: Well, just going back, just in closing, uh, Victoria, going back to uh, the last election, 2020, Biden won handily in the popular vote by seven million votes, but in the key swing states, in terms of the electoral college, he only won by about 50,000. So therein is the battleground, right? And that's where the 17% really make a difference because presumably in those battleground states in 2020, the difference was made by disaffected Republicans.
1: Absolutely. And it, that's, of course, our unusual constitutional system of the Electoral College. And that will not be lost on either candidate, That they need to work very hard in those um in those states to make sure that, you know, they win them with a, a, you know, and the president is, I'm sure, quite, quite well aware that um, he needs to win them as, as, you know, the rivals, that they need to win those swing states um, by as large a margin as they possibly can.
0: Well, Victoria Nosa, thank you so much for joining us here today.
1: All right. Thank you, Ian.
0: And again, I've been speaking with Victoria North. She's a professor of law at Georgetown University's Law Center and the executive director of the Center on Congressional Studies at Georgetown Law, a nominee for the United States Court of Appeals for the Seventh Circuit from 2014 to 2015. She served as counsel to Vice President Joe Biden and prior to that served as an appellate lawyer in the Justice Departments and was special counsel to the Senate Judiciary Committee. And her latest book is The Impeachment of Donald Trump, An Introduction to Constitutional Argument. We're take a re-station break back discussing the indictments with an expert on elections and election
2: law. I know it's true, oh so true, cause I saw it on TV, I know it's true, oh so true. Cause I saw it on TV Stand here now as one of
0: And joining us now, Justin Levitt who's a professor of law at Loyola Marymount University and a nationally recognized scholar on constitutional law and the law of democracy. He recently served as the Biden White House's first senior policy advisor for democracy and voting rights, where he assisted the president to restore trust in a democracy. He previously served in the federal government as a deputy assistant attorney general in the Civil Rights Division of the U.S. Department of Justice and has been invited to testify before committees of the U.S. House and Senate and the U.S. Civil Rights Commission and several state legislative bodies and both federal and state courts. Welcome to Background Briefing, Justin Levitt.
3: Thanks Thanks very much, Ian. Glad to be with you.
0: Well, thanks for joining us. And the grand jury in Washington, D.C. have just indicted Donald Trump for one count of conspiring to defraud the United States one count of conspiracy to willfully deprive citizens of the right to vote, one count of conspiring to obstruct an official proceeding, and one count obstructing the congressional certification of President Joe Biden's election. And there's no question, Justin, that this is in your wheelhouse, right? This is all about elections, and the first attempt ever, I think, to overturn an American election by the loser himself, Donald Trump. So why has it taken so long to get to this point?
3: Well, all of that is right, that this is uh, in the democracy wheelhouse. This is about democracy. And in fact, uh, the technical counts that you just mentioned um, in some way mask the seriousness of the charges. These amount to an attempt to overthrow the legitimately elected government that expressed the will of the people in 2020. Um, It is the federal indictment for engaging in a conspiracy to execute a queue, um, put simply. And one of the charges that you just mentioned, uh, the conspiracy against rights, is a conspiracy to impair the rights of millions, multiple tens of millions, hundreds of millions of voters uh, in denying the efficacy of their votes in 2020. That charge comes from the Enforcement Act of 1870, also known as the Ku Klux Klan Act. And I think it's significant, uh, that context is significant because it really points to the magnitude of the charge against the former president. Um, The charge, the crime that he's being accused of committing is a crime that Congress needed to pass legislation uh, in order to stop the Klan from attempting to overthrow effective regional governments and and potentially a national government in the aftermath of the Civil War. That's how serious this is. Um, Why has it taken so long? In part because that's how serious this is. This is probably the most uh, scrutinized and most researched indictment in American history. Um, We've never had before Uh, Earlier this year, we'd never had the indictment of a former president um, federally uh, or in state court. Now we've gotten three, two federal, one state court. And this indictment issued most recently by Jack Smith, by the special prosecutor, is long – it's long in coming, but also demanded an excruciating amount of investigation – In part, to make sure that each and every fact alleged is locked down. There is no question in my mind that the DOJ left absolutely nothing to chance in this indictment. And importantly, it's not just about. The January 6th insurrection, it covers a course of conduct stretching from November 14th, 2020, all the way through January 6th, it relies on. Some uh, evidence investigated by, I think, Bob Mueller in his investigation. Um, it relies on the evidence uncovered by the January 6th commission in Congress. It relies on the very public statements of uh, the former president himself and some of his allies um, and things that we all saw in real time. But most of all, it connects the dots between each of those instances, each of those investigations in a way that I think is commensurate with the seriousness of the crimes alleged.
0: And indeed, Jack Smith, the special counsel who gave a brief address yesterday, Tuesday, said the attack on our nation's capital on January the 6th, 2021, was an unprecedented assault on the seat of American democracy. It was fueled by lies, lies by the defendant. I guess there's a certain irony, isn't it, what you've just discussed there, uh, Justin, in in the sense that uh, they're charging uh, Trump with violating a statute enacted after the Civil War to protect the rights of Black Americans, the very people who voting rights whose voting rights today the Republican Party are trying to suppress across the country.
3: Yeah, I don't think it's ironic. I think it it's telling that a law meant to protect the American government against white supremacist attempts to undermine that government is being used in very similar fashion today. That's what it's for. That's why it was designed. Um, And as a measure, again, of the seriousness of this conduct, I'll note that during the January 6th insurrection, which again, was only the culmination of the activities alleged in this indictment, it covered a course of conduct trying to overthrow the election long before January sixth. But during that the insurrection itself, the Confederate flag was paraded through the Capitol. For the first time, that had never happened during the Civil War. In part because the military success of the North kept the Confederate Army at bay. The Confederate flag gained entrance to the Capitol for the very first time. And again, I don't think it's a coincidence that the same forces that brought the Confederate flag to the Capitol would be charged in an indictment that includes crimes legislated by Congress in the immediate aftermath of the Civil War in order to make sure that, the federal government remained chosen by the American people, remained the federal government. That is, That is. I don't think this is ironic. I think this is precisely why the Klan Act was passed and why it's so powerful. It's also not the first time, I should note, that the Klan Act has been used. It, it's a long-time provision used for civil rights offenses and civil rights conspiracies um, that's been an important tool in federal civil rights prosecutors arsenal for quite some time. So it's not that that the statute itself is unheard of, or that this is the first time in 150 years that it's been used. It's just the first time that it's been used since the Civil War to prosecute an attempt to overthrow the American government. And the first time in history that there's been a prosecution of a former president's role in that process.
0: And it seems that Jack Smith was smart in avoiding any charges about Trump's incitement from his speech at the Ellipse, and already might have noticed, uh, J- Justin, that Fox News right out of the gate is now saying this is all an attack on the First Amendment. So the, that's the Republican defense, that it's this is an assault on the First Amendment. And so any charge relating to the Section 3 of, of the 14th Amendment is not involved in these indictments, right? In other words, they're not using that part of the 14th Amendment to disqualify Trump from future office.
3: That's that's correct. Um, but I'll say more than that. The notion that this indictment violates the First Amendment is nonsense and should be rejected as nonsense flat out. And it was anticipated by the Department of Justice. So, again, you can see in the indictment itself, the third paragraph of the indictment makes very clear that Donald Trump, like every citizen, was free to talk to his heart's content and even to lie about the election results. We allow people to lie in this country, but we don't allow them to defraud others through those lies. And just as if uh, you're not allowed to Just say words in order to extract money on false pretenses from others, right? Those are, you can use words in the commission of fraud, and that's not protected by the First Amendment. Jack Smith made abundantly clear that Donald Trump's protected First Amendment ability to lie ended the moment he tried to use those lies to effectuate a conspiracy of action to overturn the election. And thereby overthrow the rightfully elected government. Um, Him talking about the election is his protected right. His acting on that in order to try to convince state legislatures to overthrow uh, the lawful vote in 2020, to try to convince fake electors to submit electoral certificates to Congress, to try to convince the Justice Department at the time, Um, to wade in and take steps in order to effectuate the conspiracy, to try to convince the vice president to use power that he did not have in order to install Donald Trump as a reelected president. Um, All of those instances are actions that the president took. And yes, he affected them through words, but that's not a First Amendment defense. There are plenty of things that you cannot do Uh, under our criminal law that aren't protected by the First Amendment, even though they may involve words to effectuate them. And the indictment was abundantly clear that on November 14th, 2020, when President Trump knew that he had lost the election and set in course a chain of events to try to maintain his hold on an office to which he was no longer entitled, that his protected First Amendment right to lie
0: changed
3: into criminal conduct.
0: So in avoiding 18 U.S.C. section 2384, which this this judge, by the way, is, is the same judge that has sentenced the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers, they've been convicted of violating that law. But violating that statute requires the use of force and conviction, presumably, would require proof that Donald Trump intended the Capitol riot to take place and was not just a political protest that got out of hand. And while that, I think, is what happened, it's not easy to prove and it will be a distraction. Is that a summary of of, of the situation?
3: I think it's fair to say that this indictment doesn't take an opinion on what Donald Trump intended in his speech at the Ellipse on the 6th. It covers conduct for months leading up to the 6th, and conduct by his co-conspirators on the 6th itself to try to get Congress to anoint him the re-elected president rather than to pay attention to the proper choice of the voters. And so this indictment doesn't depend on whether Donald Trump intended that there be violent action on the 6th or not. Um, It points to all of the conduct before and even the conduct during the riot by his co-conspirators to try to get members of Congress to change their minds about um, how they were going to cast their votes and requirements with the law. And that is the criminal conduct alleged. I want to be clear, the special prosecutor didn't absolve Trump of his role in the sixth in fomenting a riot. He just didn't include it in this indictment. It's it's neutral. It's not there, but that doesn't mean that um, the special prosecutor weighed in on whether Donald Trump did or did not intend to spark the the first armed domestic occupation of the Capitol.
0: So Trump is supposed to appear before Judge Tanya Chutkin. She's a former public defender who was appointed to the federal bench by Barack Obama. And as I mentioned, she's been handing down pretty tough sentences to the January 6th rioters, or insurrectionists, I think is a more correct term. So will he appear on Thursday at 4 p.m., or will he do it virtually, do you think?
3: Oh, I think he'll appear in person. He'll he'll be fingerprinted. Um, That's part of the normal process. He will appear in person. There will be plenty of logistical arrangements in order to ensure his security in order to ensure the the security of the proceeding. I think that Judge Chuckin has amassed a record that commands tremendous respect um, over the, I think now, eight and a half years that she's been on the bench. As you mentioned, she was a former public defender, so she is keenly attuned to defendants' rights under the Constitution and ensuring that this proceeding allows former President Trump all of the opportunity to defend himself that that he and his lawyers wish to take. She is exceedingly smart and exceedingly fair. And I think that you'll see that in every step of the proceedings from this point forward.
0: Well, it's definitely going to be a momentous event seeing Trump arrested what for the th- third time right? And I don't th-
3: think he'll be arrested so uh, I want to be clear he'll, he'll and- probably yeah he'll he'll show up he will be summoned into court he'll be arraigned as you say he'll make his initial appearance but I, I strongly expect he'll come voluntarily for those proceedings as he has in the two prior indictments.
0: But I think what's different with this one is that it's likely to, to move much faster than the case down in Florida, right?
3: I think that it will, Judge Shuckham, will will keep it on a, a an appropriately expedited schedule. I don't think it will move faster or slower than it deserves. And by that, I mean, I think that it's likely that Trump's lawyers will ask for time to prepare the defense. And I think it's likely that they'll probably receive a reasonable amount of time. The, it's hard to tell at this point, the the speed with which the various trials will go forward. Necessarily, this trial is a little more complicated than the trial about the classified documents in Florida, because the the range of activity alleged is quite a bit more expansive.
0: And just in closing, Justin, there may well be some extraordinary testimony in this trial, right, from none other than Vice President Mike Pence?
3: There are a number of exceedingly prominent witnesses um, and a number of exceedingly prominent co-conspirators. I think that there are many people that this conspiracy touched either as victims of it, as unwilling not participants in the scheme, but unwilling objects of it, or as quite willing, complicit co-conspirators. And arranging and arraying that testimony in a way that present the case cleanly is, yeah, I I hope that it's not seen as an event as much as it's seen as um, a way for the American public to come to an understanding of not only what happened, but why it is uh, subject to to criminal prosecution, why it is that the legal system prohibits what happened. And in that vein, there is going to be a lot of activity around making sure that the people who testify are brought before the court in a way that makes sense Um, from both the prosecution and the defense's point of view, it's part of why the indictment is as long as it is. This is an indictment that alleges a lot of facts. Most indictments are very short, and this one is 45 pages in order to begin telling a story so that people understand what's actually being charged here. Um, I think that same care into telling the story so that people understand it is going to be apparent in the actual court proceedings.
0: Well, Justin Levitt, I thank you so much for joining us here today. I appreciate it.
3: Of course. Glad to be with you.
0: And again, i speaking with Justin Levitt, who's a professor of law at Loyola Marymount University and a nationally recognized scholar of constitutional law and the laws of democracy. He recently served as the Biden White House's first senior policy advisor for democracy and voting rights, where he assisted the president to restore trust in our Democracy. He previously served in the federal government as a Deputy Assistant Attorney General in the Civil Rights Division of the United States Department of Justice and has been invited to testify before committees of the U.S. House and Senate, the U.S. Civil Rights Commission and several state legislative bodies and both federal and state courts. we can take a brief station break. We're back examining Jack Smith's 45-page indictment with a former federal prosecutor who considers them a prosecutorial masterstroke. Welcome back. I'm Ian Masters, and this is Background Briefing, available 24-7 at backgroundbriefing.org. And joining us now is Dennis Aftergatt, a former federal prosecutor and chief assistant city attorney in San Francisco, who's won cases of significance in the United States Supreme Court and the California Supreme Court. He currently serves as counsel to lawyers defending American democracy and has an article at Slate, Jack Smith's January 6th Trump indictment is a prosecutorial masterstroke. Welcome to Background Briefing, Dennis Aftergut.
4: Thank you for having me,
0: Ian. So, thanks for joining us, Dennis. And why do you think this uh, 45 page indictment, the third indictment of Donald Trump, is a fourth one expected in a couple of weeks from in Georgia? But why do you think it's a prosecutorial masterstroke?
4: Uh, several reasons, Ian. The primary one is that it is so elegantly designed to get the case. Tried before the election. You understand. And I'm sure your audience understands <laughs> that. Uh, if Trump were to be. Reelected. He would have his Justice Department. And any prosecution. And likely. If he's convicted before the election. He would have his Justice Department. And. Uh, the Justice Department's opposition to his appeal, meaning that he would be exonerated. So Jack Smith understands that justice delayed is justice denied. And he wants the case tried before the election. And I'm happy to go into how it does that. But that is the primary reason.
0: And we know that the other case down in Florida, the judge there is sympathetic to Trump. And It's likely to be dragged out. So this is a faster track to put Trump on trial.
4: I agree. The judge who's been randomly assigned to the case is Tanya Chutkin. She ruled back in November 2021 that Trump could not hide behind executive privilege to keep White House documents from the House January 6th committee. In the course of doing so, Ian, she said, a president is not a king. A president is not a king. This indictment on Tuesday is about ensuring accountability to the man who tried to be king by ending our elections and installing himself permanently in power.
0: Well, your, I, your article at, at right. Slate, Jack Smith's January 6th Trump indictment, is a prosecutorial masterstroke. In your article, you say, Dennis, that first our revolution was fought and our constitution written to prevent any American from installing himself as king. In reality, that is what Trump was seeking to do by overturning the voters' will and the Constitution itself. Now you have to add to that 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 Trump's people and the Heritage Foundation already have a project underway that essentially will. This is their plans for a second term. Will make Trump America's first elected dictator. So they are not slowing down.
4: No, and they are not hiding the ball either. There are two reasons. In all likelihood, for their doing that, number one, they want to act as already the putative nominee. They want to say we have plan, we have a transition plan in place. Everybody else, all the other uh, Republican opponents in the primaries, get out of the way. Reason number one. Reason number two is that if they get elected, they will say, well, we told everybody this is our mandate to uh, rule the country as you say, as a dictator.
0: So let's go through the 45-page uh, indictment and pick out some of the highlights. The indictment argues that Trump knew the big lie was a lie. That seems to be a pretty strong one. How, how, how would you uh, characterize it?
4: Well, there are two things about that, Ian. Um, you're, you're absolutely right. He has laid out uh, chapter and verse All the people who told Trump, like Bill Barr, that the claim of widespread ballot fraud, I'm quoting now, I know it's a family show, but I'm quoting, was bullshit. And uh, Bill Barr was just one of many, many people. They included two research firms that the Trump campaign hired to find election fraud. They both came back. And said the same thing. There is nothing more than the ordinary minuscule amount. There is nothing even closely approximating what would be needed to change an election result. Trump knew, but there's another point here, and that is that these violations don't actually require him to know. You even if you believe even if you believe that there was election fraud, you're not allowed to go out and take the law into your own hands. You go to court. He did, he lost, and then he took the law into his own hands.
0: So the other thing that strikes me uh, as as an important count here is the six unnamed co-conspirators who have not been charged yet. Uh, the fact that he hasn't named them would indicate perhaps that some of them are already cooperating. How does it strike you? Uh, that
4: is certainly a possibility. It's also part of what I referred to earlier, Ian, as the elegant design. If you have multiple defendants in a trial, it slows the pace significantly. Every defendant has the right to present pretrial motions. That means a lot of pretrial motions if there are six or seven. Mm -hmm. Every defendant's lawyer has the chance to put on witnesses in defense. Every defendant's lawyer has the opportunity to cross examine the government's witnesses. You can imagine how many times that multiplies the length of a trial. The design is elegant because Jack Smith's primary goal is to ensure that justice delayed is not justice denied.
0: And then you've got the fact that the case argues that the conspirators worked to create this illusion of uncertainty uh, which led to the alternative electors. And, of course, the uh, uncertainty is what has fed the Republican belief that's become a bedrock amongst most Republicans in the big lie. Yes, and the indictment says
4: destabilized our democracy.
0: Well, that's the one that I've always thought, how could anybody not notice that you can't just forge documents and show up at a state house claiming to be the legitimate electors in order to sway the vote in the Electoral College. I mean, how brazen is that?
4: Desperate people undertake desperate means. In so many ways, this is the gang that could not shoot straight. And in when defense lawyers used to argue when I was practicing as a prosecutor, my defendant, my client, is a very smart person. He would not do something this stupid. Do you know what the rebuttal was? What We don't catch the smart ones.
0: <laughs> well, Trump is more feral than smart i would I would suggest
4: uh, I, I I don't think I can. Disagree with you about that. Um, I, I, I'm going to say he's smart about some things, um, and he's not smart about others. The not to switch subjects, but um, the ham-handed um, uh, attempts to destroy a server and uh, uh, video security camera footage at Mar a Lago is not the work of experienced, savvy criminals.
0: Well, I don't know that it's going to work over the long haul. Do you think, uh, cause a recent New York Times poll said that 17% of Republicans believe that Trump did something wrong, and obviously that 17% is something that the Democrats could try and bring across the finishing line in 2024 to uh, elect Trump. Because the last time we spoke, we spoke about no labels, which is a cynical opposite of what we're talking about. It's it's this Mark Penn, this Fox f- uh, fixture Republican operative, uh, formerly worked in the Clinton and Obama White House. He's running that whole operation to one, make a lot of money to head, that, head the no labels campaign, and two, to screw Biden and the Democrats for whatever motive. And he's tied in with the Likud party in Israel that, of course, Netanyahu wants Trump to come back. So that's the opposite. In other words, you've got 17% of Republicans that that, that could be persuaded to vote for Democrats, but no labels is targeting that 17% to give them an alternative to Biden to help Trump.
4: You are right to focus on no labels as a true danger to our future democracy by handing the election to Trump. I want to also say that the polling uh, and uh, the American people's opinions about politics are dynamic. It's very early and these indictments affect, do accumulate, one, two, three, and very soon, in all likelihood, four. A political boat can only take on so much water before it sinks. It's not going to sink in the water of uh, of Trump's true believing base, but that is a minority. What we are talking about, the people who are open minded and who are going to be affected, especially if this trial occurs with daily stories. In the spring. The people that are who the people who turn American elections are independents. That is the prize and the effect, as I say, is accumulating. You are right, though. The danger is that no labels will siphon them off away from Joe Biden.
0: So just in closing then, Dennis, do you think that given that it looks like this will be the first trial on these indictments that were just handed down yesterday, presided over by uh, Judge Tanya Chutkin and, of course, The magistrate is going to be issuing Trump's charges uh, at 4 o'clock on Thursday. Um, I don't know whether he's going to show up in person or not, or via video, but that in itself is a humiliating prospect for him. He's he's done it twice now. The accumulative effect of all this, particularly the trial, presumably that will be happening during the campaign, do you think it might take the scales off some of the eyes? of the MAGA people, or do you think they could, you could at least peel off more than 17%, which is a, the current number of disaffected uh, Republicans, according to the New York Times poll?
4: I think the numbers of disaffected voters, independent, and some Republicans, not the MAGA people. I don't think their views are going to change, but it, they don't have to in a two-person election. And in this you said would be the first trial it has every likelihood of being the first of the two federal trials brought by grand federal grand juries under uh, special counsel Jack Smith's oversight. But the first criminal trial in all likelihood is going to be the March 25th 2024 trial um, in, uh, Manhattan, uh, the indictment by a grand jury there under the supervision of, uh, Manhattan district attorney, Alvin Bragg. That's the, that's the hush money. And, uh, Ian, I have a, I have a new piece up on slate that talks about the three, uh, current indictments, one for hush money one for lies that destabilized our democracy uh, and for all the actions to overturn the election, and one for uh, destroying security camera footage and Espionage Act violations. So if you have trouble remembering that, the hush money, the lies, and the security camera footage you can just summarize it as sex, lies, and videotape.
0: <laughs> well, I'm sure Steven Soderbergh would be happy to hear that. I thank you for joining us, Dennis Aftergut.
4: My pleasure, me
0: And again, I'll be speaking with Dennis Aftergat, who's a former federal prosecutor and chief assistant city attorney in San Francisco, who has won cases of significance in the United States Supreme Court and the California Supreme Court, and he currently serves as counsel to lawyers defending American democracy and has an article at Slate, Jack Smith's January the 6th Trump indictment is a prosecutorial masterstroke.